0: Hey everybody, we'd like to welcome you to the Ewok Podcast. We hope your day's going good. This is the official podcast of the East Wilton Union Church located in Wilton, Maine. And today we're going to hear a message from Robbie Locke, our senior pastor. We hope that it's a blessing to your life and that God uses it to help you walk closer with him. And our prayer is that you would grow closer to him in truth and in love. Well, without further ado, here's Pastor Rodney.
1: 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world, therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us, he who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. We have been studying together John's admonition to believers. We saw a command that he offered in verse 1, the command to not believe every spirit, but rather to test the spirits. You'll notice it says, do not believe every spirit. It is a command, it's in the imperative form, and in effect he's saying, stop believing every spirit. There is a tendency for many Christians to listen to preachers today with little discernment. We need even for the best of preachers, people that we trust, that we believe are men of God as they minister the word of God, we still need to evaluate if what they are saying lines up with the holy scriptures. Because men are capable of mistaking them what they are preaching. They don't do it necessarily intentionally, but they may say something that is not biblically correct. I mentioned to you uh, a week or so ago that there have been things that have changed in my preaching over the years, things that I preached when I first started young in the ministry I have changed my mind on. I can remember when I was first in Corinth, Maine years ago in fact 42 years ago when I went there as pastor I was only 21 years of age at the time. I knew practically nothing about anything. And I remember having whole sermons on why dancing was of the devil. And that was the whole message. I mean, that was everything. The interesting thing is, there's not a single verse in the whole Bible on dancing, At least not the way we talk about dancing today. But I came up with something because I talked for 40 minutes on the subject and condemned everybody who ever did it. You know what I've learned through the years, folks? Now, this boy doesn't dance. I don't do that. I do that for the sake of the crowd more than anything. No, I'm just kidding. But, you know, they, they, used, they used to call me Jello when I was in high school because when I'd move, I'd just jiggle all over the place. So I don't, you know. Now, I, I, I'm not a dancer, but I can tell you there was a time I used to preach that if you went to a wedding, and even if the father danced with his daughter, oh, how sinful that would be to take the things of the world I did, I believe that, but I was brought up believing that. My church taught me that, but I want to tell you something folks today, you know what, if you dance, now I, I don't think there's a place for a Christian's testimony to go to some kind of a dance house where it's all about the world, and I, I don't believe that's the right thing to do, but you know what man, if you want to dance with your wife, I don't see a single thing wrong with that at all, I really don't. You know, you don't have to be sensual when you're dancing. You know, that's part of what's wrong with dancing today, in my mind, is that people do movements and things that are just so sensual to me. That's not something a Christian ought to do. But if you're at a wedding and people are dancing, now here's, in my personal feeling, dance with your own wife. You don't need to dance with somebody else's wife. You don't need to dance with some other person. Dance with your own wife. Now, if she won't dance with you, go sit in the chair and be quiet and be a good boy. But, but what I'm saying is that the dancing in itself, a husband and wife dancing, is not sinful. We have people in our church that do square dancing. There's nothing sinful about square I don't think. But I tell you what, forty years ago I did. And I could tell you why it was the devil was behind the whole deal, you know. Playing cards. I was brought up to believe if you touched a deck of cards, you committed sin, just picking the deck of cards up in your hands. Folks, I'm sorry. I, I, now, do I believe in gambling? Absolutely not. I think there's plenty of evidence in the Bible as to why we ought not gamble. But you know what, if you want to play solitaire, I really don't think the Lord's going to be upset about that. You want to play flapjack with the kids? I don't think, or with one another, or I don't, see, I don't play cards. You know, I don't, I I mean, I don't know even the games. I don't know what you do. I was brought up never to touch cards on Sunday. I can play cards Monday to Saturday, but a boy touched that card on Sunday. My parents weren't Christians, but somehow my mother got it into her head. It was okay all week long, as long as you didn't do it on Sunday. So that's what I believed all my life. Here's my point to you, folks. I, as a young man, with much less understanding of Scripture, now I have a long way to go yet, but with much less understanding of Scripture, I used to preach and say this was of the devil and that was of the devil and everything was of the devil. I thank God those people put up with me in spite of all that preaching. But I want to tell you, today I preach differently. Listen, I'm not going to be God's policeman for you. And I don't want you to be God's policeman for me either. Now when the Bible declares something, I will declare it to you. But you will not be hearing me preach a sermon on dancing and all that kind of stuff. I just won't do it. Because to me it's such a secondary thing. Now are there things that I am concerned about the way the world does things? Yeah. But I think for a husband to grab a hold of his wife and hold her tight, whisper sweet nothings in her ear. I think that's a wonderful thing and I think God approves of it. So, having said all of that, test the spirits. Don't just believe everything that, you know, someone says to you. What does the Bible say? That is the key. And when the Bible is silent, guess what? There is freedom. And you may come to conclusions that are different than my conclusions. My conclusions may be different than yours. But I will answer to God for me. You will answer to God for you. That's why I will try to keep from pushing personal ideas or I will make very clear when it is my personal belief. Because you and I answer to God. It's called for you and I. We have this, this Access, we have this this spiritual priesthood by which we each one individually as believers answer to God for what we believe and for what we do. Here is the key. What does the Bible say? That is what I stand on. That is what I'm prepared to die for, what the Bible says. But I'm not prepared to die for my opinions. And you shouldn't be either. And you shouldn't impose them on others. All right. Don't believe everything you hear from preachers. Secondly, he says, test every spirit. Put them to the test to see if what the preacher is saying lines up with what the Bible actually says. And the illustration that he gives is, is the, uh, the Bereans who examined the scriptures to see if what Paul was teaching was truly in agreement with what the scriptures said. And that's the way we need to approach the ministry of the Word of God. So there's a command to test every spirit. Now there's a reason for the test in verse 1. And I want you to notice with me the, the second half of the verse. I'm going to read it and then I'm just going to pause to pray. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God. Why? Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Let's just pray. Lord, I ask now that you would open our minds and our hearts to the word of God. Help us to understand your truth, precious Lord. And as we stand on the word of God, Lord, help us to have confidence in this book. And even when the world ridicules us for believing what the Bible says, Lord, I believe Jesus told his apostles that they could expect that kind of reaction, that kind of response, that when they preached your message, Lord, and it was truly in accordance with your word, the world would reject it. And the world would reject them. And Lord, we can expect as Christians when we go out into the world that there will be those who will stand against us when we stand on the word of God. They will even say that we're foolish. They will even say, Lord, that we have been drinking the Kool-Aid. In other words, that we've been brainwashed. But, oh, Lord, how thankful we are for the authority of Holy Scripture and to know that this word of God is always true. Lord, we stand upon it. Bless now our time in the word, and we'll thank you for Jesus' sake. Amen. The believer, therefore, should not automatically accept all who come preaching or teaching in the name of the Lord. I want to emphasize again as I closed last week by saying this. Don't come to church with a skeptical attitude. Don't come saying, I don't believe a single thing until he proves it to me ten ways to Sunday. Come and listen to the word of God. Listen to what the pastor says. Come expecting God to speak to your heart. But at the same time, listen with discernment. Why? Matthew 7:15 says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are what? They are ravenous wolves. Matthew 24, 11, Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many Matthew 24 24 for false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive if possible even the elect 2nd Peter 2 and verse 1 but there were also false prophets among the people even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. Peter is talking about preachers who profess Christ, but deny him both doctrinally and in the way they live their lives. They deny him not only in what they believe, but in how they live out their lives. A false teacher is false for both of those reasons. He's false when his doctrine is false, but he's also false when his lifestyle contradicts what he's preaching. And so we need to be be very careful and to understand that not all preachers will be preaching to us the word of God or will not be men who are worthy of our following them because their example does not measure up to what the word of God says. Satan not only develops lies that directly deny biblical truth, but is also subtle, often sabotaging the truth by mixing it with error. Now this is a very important point. One of the things that the devil will do is he will mix truth with error. He will mix truth with error. Truth mixed with error is usually far more effective and far more destructive than a straightforward contradiction of the truth. If I were to stand up in public and say, there is no God. Now, there is a certain percentage of our culture today that would agree with that statement, there is no God. But a vast majority of people in this country would immediately disagree. They'd say, absolutely not. That is false. There is a God. The problem with that is we don't know what God they're talking about, right? There could be many different gods that they're referring to. We know that there is only one true and living God, and that is the God of the Bible. But if I just stood up and declared this error that there is no God, a few would agree the vast majority, I'm sorry, a few, yeah, a few would agree the vast majority would disagree. But what if I mix the truth with a little bit of error? What if I say, there is a God and He is the cosmic Jesus? Well, I just said the truth, there is a God. But then I qualified the truth with what? With error. There is no cosmic Jesus. There's a real Jesus. There's the Son of God that was made flesh and dwelt among us and went to the cross and died and rose again. There is that God in flesh, the Lord Jesus, but the devil likes to take some truth and mix it with error. Do you remember when Satan came to Jesus to tempt him? Do you realize that the devil used the word of God to try to tempt Jesus? He said, don't you realize that in the Psalms it says that the angels will bear you up. They will not allow you to get hurt. They will hold you up. So jump off the pinnacle of the temple and the angels will come, the Bible says, and bear you up and you won't die. How did Jesus respond to that? He says, thou shalt not tempt the Lord your God. That would be like you and me running out in the middle of the street with a four-wheel drive You know, truck coming down the road and saying, I'm going to stand here, Lord, now protect me from this truck. That's tempting God. I got news for you. You're probably going to get run over. You don't put yourself in danger and then say, God, get me out so I can prove you're real. Oh, no. You believe God is real and you watch yourself as you cross the street. It's a mixture of. Truth and error, he said, didn't the Bible say, and by the way, the Bible did say that, but it wasn't talking about what the devil wanted him to do. So the devil uses scripture. Don't forget that. Make sure that what you believe is based upon not only the words written in the Bible, but that you understand those words contextually in the context of the passage where you are reading it. If you look at a verse and say, I don't know what that means, read the verses that come before, read the verses that come after, and most often you can see what that verse means based upon its context. But if you take a little phrase out of the Bible, you can teach anything. As we've often said, I could teach you today from the Bible that there is no God. Because the Bible says there is no God. How many know that? The Bible says there is no God. No, Does anyone believe that the Bible says that? Well, there's two of you that agree with me. The Bible says the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. But it does say there is no God. But you got to read it in the context. Who says there is no God? It isn't that God says there is no God, it's the fool. Who says there is no God? So you can take the Bible and twist it to mean anything you want it to mean. But folks, listen, the devil wants to do that. He doesn't want you to say, oh, reject the Bible completely. No, what he wants you to do is distort the Bible. Teach things that are not true and say, see, it's right here. I can read it in black and white. No, read the context. And you will find very quickly that what you're teaching is error, not truth. So it's very, very important, folks, to understand the devil will try to mix truth with error, error with truth, so as to confuse and to deceive people. False prophets are directed and strengthened by evil spirits. We mentioned this last week. 1 Timothy 4 1 says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed, listen, to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. The source of all lies is the devil. 2 Timothy 3.13 says, But evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. He's talking about preachers here. He's talking about teachers and he calls them evil men and imposters. They profess to be something they are not. They are hypocrites in the truest sense of the word. They have a mask of religiosity on, but they are teaching error and leading people to destruction. And so he says, listen, You need to stop believing every preacher you hear just automatically by blind faith, accepting what they say. Listen with discernment. Test the spirits is what he's saying right now, lining up with what the verse says here, the passage says here contextually. Because if not, then you need to reject that preacher, reject that teaching. Now. I want you to see with me the first evidence of their falsehood in verses 2 and 3. The first evidence of falsehood in false teachers is what they believe about Jesus Christ, verses 2 and 3. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. Now, we need to understand exactly what is being said here in the context. He says, you will know the Spirit of God. When the Spirit of God is speaking, you will know when The person preaching confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh and that he is of God. Now, what does that mean? Just the fact that Jesus was incarnated, that he was born. So, as long as you believe in Christmas, you're all set? That the baby Jesus was born? Is that what he's talking about? No. What you need to understand is that the one who was prophesied to be born as that baby in the manger, he wasn't just a baby. He was God himself manifest in human flesh. He came not only as God, he came as God's Messiah, the anointed, promised one of the Old Testament that fulfilled all of the Old Testament scriptures. This baby born in Bethlehem was the Messiah. And so he's saying, if you believe that Jesus has come in the flesh, what you're saying is, I believe the Word, God, was made flesh and dwelt amongst men, that he is the Messiah, that he is the one who fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies. That's more than just saying, oh, I believe in Jesus. You know, I, I, there was a time when people would say that to me, and, and, I, and I would think they believe in Jesus, they do. But I want to tell you something, folks, today, there's a lot of people who say they believe in Jesus, but when you ask them, who is Jesus? What is Jesus like? They come up with these crazy ideas about who Jesus is. I mean, you've got that crowd of liberals who say, oh, he was a great teacher, and he was a martyr for a cause, and he was all these things, right? He was a very religious man, and he taught some wonderful things. If that's all you believe about Jesus, you're in big trouble. If that's the Jesus you believe in, you have no salvation because that Jesus can't save you. The only Jesus that can save you is the one that died as your substitute on the cross. He died for your sins according to the Scriptures, was buried and rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And while he was doing that, he was God himself manifest in the flesh. He was God dying for you and rising again from the dead. Amen. If you don't believe those things about him, you're going to be way off track. So when they say you need to believe that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, you're saying that God himself came in the flesh. He took on human form and he accomplished all that he did at the cross of Calvary in fulfillment of the prophecies of the Old Testament scripture. Jesus didn't just step into time And begin something new. He came into time at the precise moment in history that God had determined. Based upon Old Testament prophecies. And he came to fulfill those prophecies. If you don't believe that. Then you have a misunderstanding of who Jesus is. And that Jesus you misunderstand can never save you. Only the Jesus of the Bible who is Jesus God manifest in the flesh. He's the only one that can save you today. John sets forth here three familiar tests. You see this in your notes, in your bulletin, if you've got them there. First of all, there is a theological test. The theological test is, does the person confess Jesus Christ? Now what does it mean to confess? It means to acknowledge. Does he acknowledge Jesus, Savior, Christ, Messiah? He's not just a man named Jesus. He's Jesus the Savior who is also the Messiah, the anointed one of God. And you've got to confess that. If you do not confess that, you have not confessed the true Jesus. And if you have not confessed the true Jesus, it is evidence that you are not of the Holy Spirit. There is a behavioral test. Does the person manifest evidence of the fruit? of righteousness. There are men today who profess to preach Jesus, and they live truly ungodly lives. Their whole lives are about gaining wealth, their whole lives are about making a name for themselves, and they use Jesus and the Word of God to accomplish those purposes. And they try to lead people away from God. They say they're not. They say they're trying to bring people to Jesus. But you listen to many of these preachers today who profess to be evangelical preachers and they do not preach a gospel message anymore. They don't. When they get up and preach, what do they want to preach to you about? They want to preach to you about why it's God's will for you to be wealthy and if you're not wealthy, that you're not a person of faith. They get up and they preach that God wants you to be healthy always. And if you are not healthy, you are not a person of faith. They want you to believe that you can ask for anything. As long as you desire it, it's something that you want more than anything else. If you can describe it, if you can name it, God will make it happen. You speak it and it becomes real. I want to tell you something, folks. That is a lie from the devil. And these people call themselves evangelicals. They're on TBN and they're on all of these other TV channels that have all these quote-unquote Christian evangelical programs. And I want you to say, how many times do they ever talk about the cross? How many times do they ever talk about the resurrection of Christ from the dead? How often do they talk about people's wickedness and sin and total depravity? You don't hear them preaching those things on TV. They're preaching there's God in you, and you just gotta let it out. I got news for you there's no God in you. There's all kinds of depravity in you. And if God is in you, it's because you've trusted Christ and He has come to indwell you in the person of the Holy Spirit. But it has nothing to do with you being something. Oh, folks, listen, these these men today, and it breaks my heart, because they have the television, the opportunity to preach to millions of people. They could spend every time they're on TV promoting the true gospel of Jesus, and you almost never hear anything about it. And in the process, they're living in their mansions and driving their fancy cars and doing all this stuff. And they're saying, you can have it too. And guess what? The sinful, selfish nature within us wants it too. I'm not talking about you specifically, but I'm talking about many people who profess Christ. I mean, which would you prefer? I mean, speaking from a human perspective. To live your life every day healthy, wealthy, and with everything absolutely positive and never a problem? Or would you rather live the daily Christian life which involves some suffering and trials and tribulations, but living with a victorious Savior and a Holy Spirit who's your comforter? Which do you prefer? But a lot of people, you know what they want? They want all the good stuff. All the good stuff. And so the preachers tell them what they want to hear. They have what? Tickling ears. And they seek for preachers who will tell them what they want to hear. Folks, listen to me. You must have the right doctrine, but your lifestyle must back up your doctrine. Listen, if Jesus was amongst the poorest of men, why would he, we think that he thinks it's good for us to be billionaires? I'm talking about all of us. He wants some billionaires. Thank God there's some of them and that are Christians. Thank God there are. But there aren't many. And most of us will never. Well, maybe in comparison to the rest of the world we're rich, but in the in comparison to the rich rich as we think of it, we'll never be there. We'll never go there. We'll never have money like that. Guess what? Thank God you never will. Because if you have that kind of money, it's gonna be awfully hard to live a humble life before God. I literally used to foolishly pray. Now, I don't, I've never bought a ticket you know, for the lottery, never have. But I, I, I found myself a few years ago, for a while I was saying, Lord, I promise, if you'll give me a million dollars, I won't keep one penny of it. Every bit will go to the mission field. I promise you, Lord. Just, you know what, he's never answered that prayer. I have a feeling God knows me better than I know myself. I would like to think that if he gave me a million dollars tomorrow, I'd give every penny of it to missions. And as I sit here, I could say that, I'd say sincerely in my heart, listen, I could spend 10 million tomorrow. I'm serious, I know that many projects. I know that many churches that are trying to be built and they don't have money. I know, I know that many national pastors who could be supported so they could be full-time in the ministry. I could tell you ways to spend millions upon millions upon millions of dollars, but you know what? God just still keeps sending me my salary. And you know what he asked me to do with my salary? Anything and everything I can for his glory. And I may never give a million dollars, pretty sure I won't but if I got ten and I'm willing to give the ten I think that'll be pleasing to my father in heaven I I just think folks that we've got to be so careful just because they're on TBN or some other channel you watch doesn't mean there's somebody you ought to listen to you ought to think about not only what they're preaching theologically you need to think about how they're living their lives what kind of life are they living And then lastly, presuppositional. Do they already commit themselves to the word of God as the final authority? And I want to suggest to you that there are many preachers out in the world today that do not look at the Word of God as a final authority. They look at the Word of God as a book that was written thousands of years ago, and while it may have some general principles that we can live by, it's not meant to be applied to the world in which we live today. There are a lot of preachers out there that believe that. And I want you to know that your preacher today believes that from Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1 all the way to the very last verse of the book of Revelation is the very inspired Holy Word of God and is authoritative upon us. And we need to stand on that book and preach that book even when the result of doing so may bring persecution upon us. True teachers are thus characterized by a confession of the divine Lord. They've got it straight about who Jesus is. A possession of the divine life. In other words, they are living out in their practice day by day this salvation that they preach. And lastly, a profession of the divine law. They stand on the word of God. I had someone asked me just this week about evolution. <laughs> you know, do, do you think there's any room in the Bible for evolution? You know what? There are a whole lot of Christians that say yes. They've come up with this thing called the gap theory between Genesis 1.1 and 1.2, where it says God created the world, and then it says without form and void, they say, oh, there must have been a great catastrophe that destroyed God's original creation, and that there was this long period of time before God fixed it all up and started again, and uh, so there were millions of years that went by, and that's when the dinosaurs were, and that's when all the stuff you know, happened. And, and, and that's what, what they've come up with. And they preach it. There are those that believe in what's called theistic evolution, you know what they say? God chose to use evolution as the means for making the world. Not that he created it in seven days. No, he chose evolution and the seven day of creation story is just a story that's kind of meant to teach us some, some principles or whatever. But don't take them literally. Oh, don't, don't think that's historic fact. Oh, don't believe such a foolish thing as that. After all, I have fossils. Well, I got news for you. There were dinosaurs. No, you're just looking at me. There were. My, I just, can't, I just can't get over how people say, well, if you believe the Bible and you believe God did it in seven days, how could that be? And if you made dinosaurs, how did they fit into the ark? You know, it, I don't have all the answers, but one thing I know is what the Bible says. My Bible says that God spoke. And over six days he spoke into being everything that exists in the world with the exception of man. He didn't speak man into existence. He took the dust and he formed it with his own hands and he breathed into man the breath of life. And he did all that in six days. Six 24 hour days. And on the seventh day, he rested to set an example to you and to me that every six days we ought to stop everything else we're doing and think about God and rest and thank him for all he did in the previous six days in our lives. Now, if that makes your pastor a fool, I'm glad to be a fool because I believe the Bible. I will stand on the Bible till the day I die. I believe in a seven day, 24 hour day creation. This is not an old planet. There's not millions of years. The whole purpose of making the world was to come to the height of creation, which was the creation of man, so that man would worship God. God made man, and He made this world for man, so that man might judge this world, that man might, what's the word, that man might rule over this world. There's an almighty, everlasting, all-powerful God who spoke into existence the world and he made things the way he wanted them to be. He crowned his creation with the creation of man and then went about to save that mankind so that he might be able to live with them forever on a new heaven and a new earth. That's God's plan. And that doesn't sound foolish to me. That sounds like hope for humanity. We have got to begin. You must begin by saying, the Bible is true. The Bible is right and it always is. Not sometimes. Not when it measures up to my thinking. No, my thinking must change and measure up to the word of God. So I'm gonna be old fashioned and just preach the Bible literally, historically, and believing that it is accurate because it is God breathed. And the Spirit of God will use his word to transform our lives and the lives of others. He says, listen, if they don't get Jesus right, they're false and they're not of the Holy Spirit. Well. Here we go. I, I, just, I, I just feel so bad for Christian kids who grew up today and so few are in Sunday school anymore. So few come to junior church anymore and so few have a kids program to, I mean we don't have that but But we're trying to teach the kids, those that'll come, We're, we're trying to do everything that we can to minister to kids. But folks, we have a generation that's growing up and all they're hearing is one side. With a few exceptions, but the majority are hearing about evolution, all kinds of stuff about evolution. But they're not hearing the truth of the word of God. And it breaks my heart because folks, if it continues on like this, where are we headed? It won't be long until this land is principally atheistic you do know that the fastest growing group in the United States today is atheism did you know that that's the fastest growing second fastest now is Islam but the first and the fastest growing movement in this country today is atheism no God if there's no God there's no creation if there's no creation we come for the monkeys if we come for the monkeys I'll do what I want you can do what you want and I don't care what happens to you That's what evolution says. We've got to teach our children. We've got to be able to defend the Christian faith. And for you younger ones that are anticipating at some point down the road, heaven families, you've got to decide now how your children are going to be trained. You have to decide that. And it may be you'll have to put them in a, you know, I mean, you may end up putting them in a public school or whatever, but you had better make sure that you offset the error they're being taught by teaching them the word of God. And don't depend on your church to it. Hopefully your church will, but don't depend upon your church. You teach your children because you will answer to God for your children, not us. We will answer for the time we have them, but we don't have them very much. You do. Stand in the word. That's what we must do. Let's pray. Father, I just wanna ask that we'll, we'll, we'll be able to just put aside my blustering and, and think about Lord, the truth that I've tried to say, Lord, today. And I didn't mean to talk about evolution except in just very passing, but, but Lord, when I, when I look at this whole issue today, We have a whole generation of kids that should be hearing about the creation of the world by an almighty God, and what they're hearing is that it's all the result of chance. That it just happened, that there was an explosion, and out of explosion came wonderful things, and here we are today. And not that we're getting worse, that we're getting more sinful and more depraved, but rather that everything's getting better over time. We're advancing, and, and Father, it's so far from the truth. We may have more technology, we may have more science, we may have more of all of that stuff, but we also have more atheism. We also have more false religions. And it's because Lord we have as a nation gotten away from the word of God. Please help your people to stand for this book even at the cost of their lives. Because only your word is the source of absolute truth. And only your truth can set men free. Lord, please help us to stand for the, on the scriptures and to realize there are people out there who pretend to be servants of God who are indeed servants of the devil. Help us to listen with discernment. Help us, O oh God, to always believe what you say. Well, thank you, Father, for Jesus' sake.
0: And this has been the Ewok Podcast with Pastor Robbie Locke. We hope it's been challenging and exuberating and uplifting in your life as it has mine. We hope it helps you walk closer with God and understand Him better and the truth He's laid out for us in His Word. If you've really enjoyed this sermon or it's had a great impact upon your life, leave us an email or go to our Facebook page or our website and just leave a comment that we might know exactly how it's impacted you. It's very uplifting for us to see those things for it helps us to push forward to continue doing these. Well, that's all I got for time. Until next week, God bless.